Back song, Earthlets. Oh, oh, my God. <laughs> my name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox. This is the 100th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast Holy for two Americans shit. trying to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for June and July. Of 1983, Progs 321 to 324. This week, Sam Slade goes full ghost, Sam uh, Skiz goes full caper, Dread goes full werewolf, and we go full board because it's the 100th fucking episode! Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, I've, you know what, Conrad? Do you know what I decided to do to uh, make our 100th episode feel a little special? What? what I do what do? I do every other, no, every two or three episodes between. I, mm-hmm. I get a little drunk. Nice. I'm, I'm a little. I'm. I'm a little toasty. Yeah. By request of Fox, um, I'm doing this episode drunk as well. I promise Perfect. there'll be. I promise there'll be minimal f- edits because why not? Um, for the record, <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking Midnight Moon Moonshine in the apple pie flavor, and then Robo Hunter. Oh my god, I'm all over the place. No, that's perfect. I'm on several cans of Robo Fuel by Manor Hill Brewing. It's the uh, the pale wheat beer that's got what bots need, which is apparently citrus and a 5.8 by alcohol by volume. So whatever. (laughs) Shout out to Sean for buying me that beer. Um, Beautiful boy, Sean. Yeah, if you want to read along with with us this time, you'll find the comics recovered and Judge Dredd, the complete case files six and seven. We're making the jump to seven, buddy. And Robo Hunt, Robo Trooper, sorry, Rogue Trooper, Tales of New Earth two, Robo Hunt, the Droid Files two, and the relevant time twisters are collected in the Alan Moore Future Shocks. Just for the record. And this is uh, this is some I tried to put together and completely flopped. Uh-huh. So I made I made a, a drink today because uh, oh, nice. I like a good white Russian, mm-hmm. um, and I was going to call it the General Kazan, just white <laughs> Russian, shaken with uh, a little extra milk, but it's rice milk with cinnamon, and add a bunch of cinnamon inside. Um, and then you top it with some cayenne peppers because that's just spicy. That dude is a spicy dude. <laughs> Uh, it was horrible. Oh, no. It was like the worst thing I've drank. So instead, I drank a bottle of white wine, two bottles of white wine with my girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> and I've I've hammered through about half of a red wine bottle. And now I'm just drinking Myers Rum straight because, you know, I could have been cool and witty. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, I'll just revert to my lush tendencies and uh, and drink like a snobby pig. Yeah, I think my plan was initially to get like a glass of Budweiser and then drop a uh, a shot of vodka in there and call that an apocalypse war. But I've sort that's, of decided I'm sorry, that's cool, exactly an apocalypse. <laughs> make things a little cleaner right now. But I'm all over the place, Fox. So I'm going to need you to like oh help me out. All right. <laughs> so here's the deal. Uh-huh. Sam Steed is a ghost. Oh Jesus. Oh, it's all bad. Wait, so, no. uh, so this is this is the part of the episode where you do the lead in and you go like yeah. Drill something, and then we talk about something yeah. else. But it's about Robo Hunter, so you got to do that. Yeah, I want to say for the record that uh, sev- I posted the booze I was going to drink. I got like five likes from it, which is pretty awesome. Um, and some, and uh, 
And uh, uh, Toonie said, episodes with Drunk Fox are extra entertaining. Please make that the norm. Oh, oh God. And then I said, this episode's going to have a Drunk Conrad, and there was no reaction to that on the internet. I assume everybody's just shocked and appalled by it. So it's going to be a real, <laughs> real good episode. Wait. As Conrad tries to pull it fucking together as I'm all over the place as we go forward. Conrad, they know when I'm drunk? I feel I feel like it's not super <laughs> you don't super hide it, buddy. I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie to you here. Like I no. feel like it's something that's obvious to everybody. And speaking of things that are obvious to everybody, it's fucking Thrill One Robo Hunter. Oh my god, Sam Slade's a ghost, <laughs> Yeah, a spoopy sc- ghost. Script robot Alan Grant and John Wagner's Grant Grover, art robot Ian Gibson, letting robot Steve Potter. Yeah man, Sam Slade is a robo-hunter and he's a fucking ghost, guys. Last I, episode- have, I have an issue with his age. <laughs> oh? Sorry to say, yeah, no, it says in, the, in part 10, he's born yeah. in 2080, died in 2147, right. I'm not a maths expert. That ain't 32, because Man, he's they, really actually a bunch age. They fucking talked age. about that in the nerve centers, dude. That's Man, like the age he is after being de-aged by the effects of the trip to Verdus. Jesus Christ, Fox. You gotta pay attention to these things. But, put it together. Get it together. That's his chronological age after being de-aged because of the travel to Verdus huh. through... The time, whatever, through the fast and light things, they did have proper yeah, shielding. To, look, all I'm saying is... It's just like how Kid is a baby, dude. Like, he's like five years old, but, but no I one says it. He's like, oh, like, you should be 30. Like, no, man, he got DH to be five, and that makes sense, all right? I would call him five years old, though. He's, uh, he's smoking a cigar half the time. But, like, it's something, man. Anyhow... Last issue, we learned that Sam Slade, the Robo Hunter, had been cloned without his knowledge by this evil scientist guy. Rude. Yeah, so along with uh, Ghost Sam, let's check out on the progress of Clone Sam, who's raised by a bunch of other, with a bunch of other clones of top and soldiers at a, at, a, yeah, at a military nursery overseen by Sergeant Major and Clench. Obvious Nurse Ratchet reference. All I'm saying is I've never. I've never thought that what I want to see is a baby training. <laughs> so he's soldiering his way through this stuff. That's when you're a baby working through military stuff, like the movie Soldier. Um, oh my god. He's raised with a bunch of other clones of top military guys. Um, he's unruly, he's lazy, he lacks a killer instinct. He, like they say, like, CJ, C-Jack, C-Jane, C-Jack kills Jane and Sam Slade's like, hey, like, what if he wants to, like, Make out with Knock Jane around back or something, and they're like, "Ah, you're gonna you're out of here, else. Slade." So co- have, cl- <laughs> for having sexual tendencies. That's right. Clone Slam is Clone Sam is drummed out of the service at age six and adopted by the Scum family, who and are amazing, perfect parents. Honestly, they don't care, man. They don't raise him that well. And assumes Sam Scum is a no-good teenager. Or as we like to say, a no-good Nick. Yeah, exactly. Soon he's found guilty of 52 counts of antisocial behavior. And he's given 50 (laughs) years of hard time for, which is rough. Antisocial behavior. Yeah, I mean, just general being a young punk kind of thing. And my favorite thing that, that he does to everybody 
of authority is he just tells him to go suck something. So go suck an egg or go suck your wig. Super it's, awesome. Do you know what's cool about British courtroom? Even the, today. Do is the wigs? Because those are pretty cool, Dude, buddy. That is possibly so like the coolest fucking thing. I don't I you know, I don't know why. I don't know why they still do it. Maybe it's like just a thing. I really wish our judges were powdered wigs. I'm pretty sure it's just a thing, man. Like I watched I used to watch like the BBC like UK Law and Order thing and all those guys wore wigs it was pretty awesome. Yeah. It was fucking cool. I watched the <laughs> yeah. same thing. Law and Order UK is dope. Yeah. So but yeah, so Sam Something. Sam Scum's given fifty years hard time. Sam Slade's checking out Sam Scum in prison when Morias Iscariot is Spiritual defense lawyer finds him. It turns out there's two things that can be done at this point. One, uh, Sam can remain a ghost until Scum dies and the two of them can be judged together. Or Slade and Scum can merge into some kind of Super Sam mm. uh, um, and basically <laughs> become the same guy. Uh, you know. So I think that there's still a third option, which they could have explored by saying, like, you know how ghosts sometimes haunt a place and try to, like, kill people? I mean, you could do that, but it's definitely a one-way ticket out. Like, that's another option. Yeah, I feel like that's part of option one, to be honest. Um, that's so they, pretty fair. They take the case to Sam Scum, and Sam Slade, basically, you know, he sort of lays out a plan that he knows how to escape, and Scum agrees. And so after some cool ghost effects, Slade merges with Scum. We got his fucking Super Scam. Super Sam. <laughs> um, for at least a while, eventually the two of them will be separate entities. And finally, event at some point, they'll become just one Sam. That, that's a while yet. Um, oh, God, really? But, I'm but not. So, <sighs> yeah, okay. so, you know, Sam. So, so I'm just going to call this whole entity Sam. Um, and <laughs> that's he, fine. He volunteers to go to the Time Stretcher, which, which is a cool idea, but doesn't seem to actually rectify the bad behavior of a person, right? No, because I mean, so basically this Time Stretcher, you serve your whole your whole sentence in the course of like a minute or so, and then you get, get, get kicked out and you're artificially aged like age 80 or something like that. Um, and yeah, it doesn't like rehabilitate you or anything. It's just yeah. sort of like makes you 50 years older instantly. So whatever. Well, what if, what if you're in for like six months? Can you apply for the time stretcher? Does I that feel, matter? Yeah, I feel like you should, to be honest. Yeah, um, exactly. I feel like more people would do the time stretcher. They're like, yeah, we want to get out yeah, of here. Yeah, to get people out of jail, man. You so, know what it is? It's this bullshit jail system trying to just push people out so they can pull more people in. Super agree. Also, I want to mention that this future USA, instead of the A, there's a star there, which is very, like, sort of modern, um, uh, whatever, branding and stuff. But so. It's beautiful. Sam volunteers for the time stretcher, do it the, the remainder of his sentence a few minutes, artificially aged in a magic chair, he'll likely die, <laughs> except magic. the fact. Yeah, except the fact that he has a plan. Alright? So prior to his time stretching, Sam tricks a robo guard into letting him into he a maintenance room. Yeah, he lets him into a, ma a maintenance room. He brains him and then fortresses his way to the time stretcher because that's oh. die hard in a fucking future prison, buddy. <laughs> um, he makes his Sam makes his makes uh -huh. some quick judgments to the time stretcher and then returns to his cell. The machine is powered on, and instead of making him older, Sam is suddenly. Or Sam has turned the, turned the chair to a time machine. He arrives and brits it in the middle of the street, 
just in time to be hit by a car. All by using a trusty screwdriver. Like, that's, that's all right. I saw him do was screwdriver the back of this chair. And he knows I what he's doing, he's, man. He knows so his robots. Yeah, Sam arrives and Brits sit, but is still strapped to the time stretcher chair and he can't get this out of it. This is best. This may be my favorite thing in the whole comic. It's pretty good. He's, he's like warps into a busy runway and almost gets knocked over. And then just a ton of Brit citizens just re- refuse to help him as he lies on the street. He gets mugged. Like, even re- even an attempt at reverse psychology just gets him slapped in the face by an old lady. <laughs> the, great. the Robocops come, but just put up a cord around him. Like, just leave him alone. <laughs> You know, instead of helping him? Well, so they, they don't know how to approach the situation because they think that, like, there's something weird afoot, but it's just him asking to be let out of the chair, and they're like, oh, if we do something about this, like, who knows what's going to happen, yeah, so just we'll just leave him alone until he's some, done doing this. Put some put some fucking flashing lights around him, and that's it. Um, great. Yeah. Day turns into night, and a common drunk, not unlike your current podcast hosts, come by. Beauty comes by, offers Sam some booze, and then wanders off into the night. And holy crap, he's just been stuck there for like a day. And what I love is that he's like asking this drunk guy, like, "Hey, like, hey, man, you're cool. Let me out of this chair." And he's like, "Sure thing, buddy." And then he just walks off. He, he walks off and immediately thinks that he just dreamed it, which is pretty funny. <laughs> um, it's just bizarre. But yeah, it seems like he's stuck and he's going to stay that way. Next time on Robo Hunter, the man who killed himself. Oh, that sounds delightful. I can't uh, wait to read whatever that shit is. I think it's going to be pretty good with just some random time travel stuff. But yeah, this is pretty funny stuff, man. Especially at the end when he's just sort of like trying to get Brit sits to help him out. And they're like, oh, I can't be bothered. I'll be on my way, you know. It's okay, pretty so funny. Okay, so real talk, it's yeah. only the last uh, comic, so 324, that I actually enjoyed out of all of this. It's like, oh, it's all this setup to get him inside of his own body of his clone and then like all this whatever and get yeah. to jail and then uh but the chair in 324 uh is great i don't i don't know if this is like a commentary on british people because they're british it's it british feels like it feels like, like a commentary on british people to be honest and yeah i'll agree that like you know we've talked about this in this story as well as the play it again slam where it feels like Grant and Wagner have kind of run out of some Robo Hunter stories almost. And they're just trying to finish things up. This kind of feels like there's a lot of wheels spinning in here. There's sort of a whole episode of just, um, like, will they or won't they? Then an episode of, like, setting up the chair. Then an episode of, like, almost, of, like, setting up, you know, two episodes really of setting up the chair. Then one episode of being stuck in the chair. It's like, all right, like, if you knew what you were doing, we could probably be on to the next part here, you know? if, you, if, if 100%. That's kind of what I mean. Where it's like, I'm glad they gave time to him, like, fucking around in the chair because it's funny. But, God, it took us, you know, four progs to get here. Strong Just be grief. funny. Yeah. Just be funny. Seriously, man, work it out. Oh, man, I drank a lot. But, um, okay. <laughs> I love you, Conrad. Doing my best, man. Um, the time twisters. Speaking of our ideas of how 2000 AD stories should go, oh. it's Thrill 2, Time Twisters, and Tharg the Mighty. Oh, fuck, fucking Tharg the Mighty.
Indeed. But so, okay, so first story is called I Could Do That. Uh, script robot Alan Grant is J.B. Cronk. Art robot Mike White. Uh, letting robot Pete Knight. Dude, I really, I love the title, I Could Do That, especially with the text boxes that come with all of this. It's pretty good, yeah. So there's a, there's a young punk, complete with mohawk and leather jacket named J.B. Cronk, who wrote this whole head. story. Yeah, and he's just hanging around a butcher's shop, pretending to be on a stakeout, when he bumps into a central casting mad scientist with a bunch of tachyon tubes. <laughs> Which really, I mean, if there's one thing I've learned from the Star Trek... You don't run around with tachyons everywhere. That shit doesn't come in tubes. Gotta be careful, buddy. Gotta be careful. Exactly. So knowing that tachyons are faster than light particles, uh, Kronk... Because someone watched this Star Trek. Yeah, Kronk pegs this guy who's building a time machine and follows him home, uh, peeping through the the skylight of his uh, scientific workshop. Um... He sees the mad scientist lab and he sees a scientist completing his work, which is sort of this sci-fi, this sci-fi time travel machine built in the barrel of a shotgun, essentially. <laughs> so I was about, if you weren't going to say it, it's just a fucking shotgun. <laughs> it's a shotgun with like a, with a, with like a radar dish on the end yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, so it hold on. It my favorite time machine. Yeah. Fucking ever. <laughs> so as he's built this, a bunch of people from the future start appearing. There's a reporter from 2035 who's there to film the historic moment. And Kronk, the punk guy, is able to both read lips and take shorthand about all of this to kind of publish a new scientist. I thought it was pretty funny. He kind of spends all of his time talking about it like, hey, future employers, look at all my abilities despite me being a punk as I watch this like futuristic, crazy sci-fi story. It's a really great. Yeah, so uh, then a rich guy from 2050 arrives to buy the movie rights to the creation of the time machine. And then a collector from 2099 wants to buy the prototype. And then a patent tax guy from 2143 <laughs> shows up to get the money, the past tax owed on the time machine. Which, what? And then what? a supervillain like- from 2212 also wants the time machine for himself. And in the end, the mad scientist just uses his time machine on all these guys, moving them into some other timeline. Um, proving it does work, but then it destroys the time travel machine, because time travel fucking sucks, but you gotta deal with a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's fucking really true. Um, so that means that Kronk, Mr., you know, J.B. Kronk can't use this story to sell to mad, to mad scientists, so instead, <laughs> He realized he could send it to 2000 AD, so he sort of writes up the story, then sent it to Tharg, like, gives a job! Which is a Boys in Black stuff reference. And Tharg says that after he verified all this on his own, he decided to uh, publish the story as is, based on true events and stuff. But also the caveat, like, I'm not gonna just put your stories into print. You gotta prove it. And I'm like, ah, alright. Yeah, get, exactly. Get, get away with that one, Tharg. <laughs> Bad times for Conrad right now. Okay, so next, <laughs> <laughs> next up, you, next up, it's the hyper historic headbang. This is so Alan Moore. I love this. this yeah, this is the most is... Alan Moore thing, other than the rest of the stuff that's definitely Alan Moore, even though he's not credited. I gotta describe. I gotta agree. So, script about Alan Moore, art about Alan Davis, letting robot Steve Potter, our buddy Alan Davis from Harry Twenty. Uh, oh. Man. 
So this story takes the form of a news report, like a music feature, starting mm-hmm. with an intro from pop culture droid uh, DJ One, and he opens it by calling everybody, like, reading this, uh, Lubsters and Tubsters, which is oh, actually which. pretty fucking graphic when you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's whoa, cool. like that passed me by, but that's actually pretty messed up. Uh, but so he introduces us to... Max Megadoom and the Time Bombs. And they're basically a mix of the band Disaster Area from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and like Death Clock from like Metalocalypse fame. Strong and great. Um, and like it's sort the guy of. With a tiny face on drums. Yeah, it gives us sort of a background of the whole band. Um, we learn about their first album, which is a giant record planet inhabited by aliens with, per- with perfect pitch. And they, they get attacked by a giant stylish ship to play it, which I thought was pretty awesome. Um, we meet the band, including scatterbrained singer Max Megadoom, who talks like, uh, there's this one Futurama episode where, like, Fry's, like, nephew is, like, a <laughs> heavy metal guy. God and there's damn a it. metal, and there's a singer guy that's like, like, Fry came in, right? And he played me a tune, yeah? And I said, that's a hit record, all right? And Max Megadoom sounds just like that guy. Um, It's just a lot of words that don't mean anything. Yeah. Then we meet uh, Justin Jewell, the bassist and son of the record company president, which I thought was pretty funny. And then Dennis Deathwish, the anteater man on lead guitar and chainsaw. Anyhow. Chainsaw. Just so everyone knows that's an instrument. These guys are heavy metal, bro. After that, we learn that their new album is based on time travel, and as their song, which is called I Want to Hold Your Tentacle, begins, oh the, the stage starts to time travel, and we go through various loud events in history, from the atomic explosions uh, to in which Pompeii, some people die, in which Tung- some people also die, to Tunguska, to just fucking dying, some people die. dinosaurs eating were- everything. <laughs> It's just every scene is like this amazing event where they're using it for sound, but then also some of their crowd is dying. Yeah, finally they get to the Big Bang itself, and it's amazing. And heavy metal is still fucking alive, buddy, even if many of their fans aren't at the arena. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. Like, I don't know. It's a good good time twister, or whatever, a DJ one-a-sode. Super good time twister. So next up we go to The Lethal Laziness of Lobelia Loam. Script Which robot. while credited to no... Oh wait, is there actually a script robot? No, no, no. It says there's no script robot, but it's Alan Moore who wrote it. Yeah, very clearly. Yeah, art robot Baluda, letting robot Peter Knight. So this is the last Thark story of 1983, which is awesome. Uh-huh. Um, and it's another one of these fun Alan Moore kids fables stories. Um, this one is about this shockingly lazy Lobelia Loam. She's a large lady and never cleans up after herself. Eventually, her father dies in the mess, leaving behind his invention, which is a time machine, or at least a time portal to another time. Lobelia finds that she can just toss shit into the time portal and just disappear, so that's awesome. Uh, she has a guy named Conrad come over and clean up her place, then kills him and toss in the time portal, which I'm fucking pissed about. Um, yeah, hashtag don't kill your Conrads. Seriously, dude. Um, and then she just sort of has a bunch of rich guys over and uh, tosses them in the pit, in the pool, in the time 
portal thing and takes their wallets, which is whatever. <laughs> I guess that just works. It seems to work. Eventually, though, we learned the portal was set to March 12th, 1984. So when Labellia wakes up on that day, she's suddenly flooded with decades of trash over um all and at once. Corpses. Oh and yeah. Corpses. Yeah, I like the final lines here and it's like and this is what Lobelia saw. Nine spin dryers and one steering wheel, an acre of banana peel, a hundred kinds of ballpoint pen, five thousand tins and twelve dead men, a tidal wave of gross disorder that pulsed and heaved and rushed toward her. And so her, hell, her house collapses and she dies. So basically just clean up your rooms, you rotten kids. <laughs> you know? It started just telling three messy nephews to not be so lazy, I guess. That line, 5,000 tins and 12 dead men, is pretty awesome, I gotta say. <laughs> it's the, uh, that's the name of my memoirs, weirdly enough. I'm all, I'm all about it. Um... <laughs> So now we move to possibly the most depressing time twist yeah, I've ever the, read in my life. Strong agree. Yeah, this, the, the final uh, time twister story we have is called The Time Machine. Art robot Alan Moore and Jesus Redondo. Letter robot Pete Knight. Which So this story is kind of like the, the reversible man fox that we saw in a couple episodes ago. Because it's kind of a trippy, like, man recalls his whole life kind of story. Yes. Um Harry Bentley is falling, but his time machine has worked. He recalls his life, his childhood room and possessions, his first kiss, his time with his wife, and how he'd lost his job and became obsessed with building a time machine to the point where he never got another job and his wife left him. Finally, he realizes that the time machine is impossible. Of nothing left, he goes to kill himself jumping off a bridge. And that's when he realizes that his time machine is actually his life flashing before his eyes as he drowns. And holy shit, that is depressing. Yeah, I, uh, I have, I mean, so I'm into it from a, a stylistic standpoint, but damn, man, you just threw that into like a, like a teenage comic book. That's pretty bold, Alan Moore. It's a super rough story, man. I wish it wasn't so fucking drunk to like be, re- be reviewing it because I'm not giving it the, the like <laughs> the heaviness that it deserves, Fox. But like, this is a fucking sad, melancholy story. I can't stress it enough. You know, it's really good and visually very well done. Along with like, so Jesus oh, yeah, Redondo always on his fucking a game. Like, I, clearly everybody who worked on this really understood the importance of the whole thing, and it's. It's very well taken care of to give way to the visuals that he's seeing and how the visuals are portrayed are very trippy. I super agree. Yeah, the way that Redondo draws this guy, like, falling through the water and, like, seeing his life flash before his eyes, essentially, is a really awesome, like, just, like, images and, like, way to kind of, like, show you this crazy life this guy is li- guys have lived and then sort of what he's left with and stuff. Absolutely. It's fucking beautiful. Absolutely, yeah, man, this is a really good Future Shock, buddy. It's like, it's super melancholy, and I really appreciate that in these Future Shocks that are so often just fucking air horn fests. And this one is being <laughs> sort of a a depressing, like, guy in the end of his rope kind of story is really cool, I think. I think what's great about it is it's surprising, right? Like, what we like, I, I, would, I would say, after doing this for one... 100 episodes. Fuck yeah, dude. 
um, is that like I think what we like is a good surprise, right? Yeah, a surprise, definitely. A surprise is just basically the antithesis of what you expected. So you still need to do all of the things to build up what's expected, like air horns and dumb and whatever, and it's funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah. sometimes you got to do something really bold and crazy, and you're like, damn, it's great. Or you could just always be bold and crazy, and I don't know. I don't know if you could do that. But Alan Moore so far, I really like his shit. Yeah, man. <laughs> He's not bad. Shockingly, this master of the comic art form is turning out to be pretty good at writing fucking comics, dude. What a um, dick. Seriously. But speaking of un in, of uh, unexpected cool. and crazy embrace of tropes, it's... Oh, that's great. Yes. It's Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. Oh, I've been so excited for this. Hey, man. Uh, Conrad. Hey, Conrad. Yeah. Uh, what do you do when uh, your giant condominium super space island is flying into the sun? <laughs> it's a man in ship time, buddy. So, Judge Dredd, script robot, John Wagner, Alan Grannis, T.B. Grover, art robot, Carlos Escara, and Steve Dillon. Letting robot that Tom frame. I love you, Tom. Call me. I know you're not alive anymore. Yeah, R.I.P. Fucking Tom Frame, you're the master. You're beautiful. So, oh no, the Gemini Three is being sucked into the sun, Fox. Yeah, I guess we got to deal with this. Abandoned uh, condo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I really wish that there was a movie like this, space (laughs) condo flying into the sun. Just the fact that everybody keeps talking about condos really makes it really funny to me. Um, emergency crews guide people to the pods. Dread stops the guy who keeps trying to cut in line, and now he's got to board last, which I it's think great. is pretty funny. Hey, cutter, cutter, you're a dirty line butter. <laughs> hey, man, even even in 2104, the sacred rule of no butts, no cuts, no coconuts remains in effect, man. <laughs> Firm, beautiful thing. I really hope that's the thing of Britain. Of course. Oh, fuck. I got to bring it over if not. Uh, so the escape pods are filling up. There's still people unable to reach the pods. They just have to watch as others Real escape. Bad. They just get to die in a tube. So another fucking Carlos Escara fucking melancholy Judge Dredd story. Uh, Dredd, so, uh, Dredd loads the final folks onto the Justice 3, including the guy who tried to cut in line. And they fly out even as the condo gets closer to the sun. And some of the escape pods aren't powerful enough to break free of the sun's gravitational pull. Like, <laughs> fuck you, man. You're in the escape pods and you're so going to die. Yeah, um, it's like the exact opposite of an escape pod. Yeah. The condo nears the sun. The colony leader goes with it, screaming, my condo, as it goes up in flames. It's definitely, I mean, I'm proud of him for going down with the ship. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, no, that's the right way, man. The next day, Dredd shows up in the office of Ronan Roxborough, who's an architect. And he's, he's about a, to get, I'm FYI, screwed. About to get hyper-fucked, man. He didn't get the contract <laughs> to, describe, to design this, the Geminis, so instead he sabotaged them, substituting workers with robot replacements and stuff. Which is yeah. normally fine because robots are definitely Conrad. Don't, uh, robots are definitely one hundred percent safe. Yeah, but these time, this time, this time, what people tell them. Yeah, the robots were 
were built to destroy everything, his actions led to the death of 540,000 people, which again, you know, an infinitesimal, or like, you know, maybe a, like three quarters of what dread, of the people that dread is personally killed, but still, that's a lot of people, so he's going to the cubes. Damn right, he's going to the cubes. Don't get yeah. in his way, secretary lady. You're good. I sewed for an obstruction. Not great. He, he would have gotten away with it too, if not for that meddling Judge Dread. Well, you know, uh, wow. You know, uh, the Mystery Machine crew of Scooby Doo would have been a lot different if Scooby Doo were a judge from the future. I want to say that this whole thing is a super Scooby-Doo kind of plot, except that it involves the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, which is usually not the stakes that the Scooby-Doo gang has to deal with. It's definitely a different level. Yeah. So after that, Fox at last, man, after months of me teasing it, it's the cry of the werewolf! I, I wouldn't even believed it. If I hadn't seen it with mine and own eyes, and I'm going to tell you something, I'm going on a little bit of a tirade right now. Do I'm it. Saving it for the end. Do you know what I love, Conrad? What do you love, Fox? I fucking love a good werewolf. A fucking, like, I, like, okay. So in my video games, zombies, whatever, they're fine. It's great, like, meat for the grinder kind of thing. Do you know mm. what everyone fucking loves? They love, they love a Dracula. Everyone loves a fucking Dracula. People love like, a Dracula. Sucking your blood, living in a castle and all that shit. You know what? That shit's overplayed. You know what's great? A wolfman. It's like all of the the terror of somebody who doesn't give a fuck and they're just going to let loose and murder. It's not this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde stuff where, like, yeah, it's like the evil of man. Nah, man, it's just straight into beast mode. These things are going to bite you or eat you. But I'll tell you what you can't do. You can't stop them unless I guess you have incendiary rounds or a full automatic pistol. I super agree, buddy. Face spin in 2000's fucking Team Jacob, dude. Dude, um, oh my god. <laughs> Hashtag Space Spinner 2000 is Team Jacob. If you don't get that, I'm really proud of you. Yeah. If you up, don't man. understand what Conrad just said, you are possibly my favorite person. Don't look it up. Stay virgin. It's, you're a beautiful person. You're like you're like rare. You're a rare. No, nah, I disagree, man. Speaking. Twilight's fine. Listen, people give it a hard time, but I'm not on that boat. So it's cry the <laughs> werewolf time, Fox. Oh fuck! Dread compl- dread completes his 300th arrest of the day and heads for back for 10 minutes in the sleep machine, which and is a is a weird rant. Yeah, it's a random piece of dread. Dread, like judge information we get here the total relaxation inducer that gives you a full night's sleep in 10 minutes whatever he's back on the streets fuck like you they talked about it like in the first two years maybe right? like they have definitely done it where it's like judges only need 10 or 15 minutes of rest and they're back on but they never gave it like a substantive thing yeah that i feels definitely right. remember this where it's like yeah so we chalked <sighs> it up to them just being super awesome but it really, it's like these cool things with 1970s-esque buttons and wavelength readers and odometers. Yeah. It's great. I love technology as done by the 80s. Yeah, definitely, man. So whatever. Dread takes 10 minutes off and he's back on the streets. He's looking for crime. It's a full moon. That always brings out the fucking crazies. Including, in this case, from the, we- from the undercity comes a grunt damn werewolf. 
in one of the coolest letters I've ever seen, which is Naru. While a it, slobbering wolf just, just like chomping yeah. its maw. It attacks a 100% st- uh, Hollywood stock kissing uh, couple on the streets of Mega City 1. That's, it's the best. This is how you set up a werewolf. People are walking along the promenade, not on Deep Space 1, but Mega City 1. No relation other than, I guess, the number. And they're just no, like, Deep Space Ooh, what's 9. that sound? Shit. Like, oh, cut a little closer, baby. It'll be fine. Then a werewolf attack! Dude, it's not even just one. It's like fucking three werewolves. Yeah. The werewolves attack, and judge, judges Monk, Cochran, and Dread respond. There's a, you know, they respond to find a whole bunch of bloody werewolf prints everywhere. And yeah, Dread really hit. They do that whole thing where it's not, oh, it's not a werewolf. Dread and Cochran head out. Yeah, we see a pair of motorists hit a werewolf, and the lady of the pair is bitten just as Jug- Judge Fogg arrives on the scene. He follows the attacker, and man, yeah, it's a fucking werewolf out here. Um, yeah, and then this guy's like, oh, God, they weren't kidding. And in the following episodes, just more and more people describing. This is okay. Just to let you guys know, this is what I hate the most about a monster movie, is when everybody is definitely in a time and place where werewolves or, or Draculas or zombies are a thing, and everyone's like, oh, oh what like, could this wolf man be? Like, what's going on here? I don't understand. Oh, oh God, it's it's dead and walking around. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite parts about what, what that a movie from Dusk Till Dawn, where they just kind of... There's a point where everybody just puddles and like, all right, so what do we know about vampire movies that we've seen that we can use, you know? Um, (laughs) So Judge Fogg takes the werewolf down with incendiary bullets and sends the injured citizens to a nearby med unit. Meanwhile, Dredd and Cochran spot two more and head over. One of the werewolves falls quickly to the bike cannon and the judges attack the other with their boot knives. Finally awesome. taken it out by Dredge's shooting the thing with high explosive to the face, which is pretty awesome. Right in its mouth. Yeah. Searching the body, the werewolf was wearing the remains of a judge's uniform from Judge Bram. Uh, uh, who is this guy? Yeah. Dredd says the corpse down to forensic, and we learn that Judge Bram was a judge that took the long walk to the Undercity. And uh, based on some scarring, we can basically identify that this werewolf guy is Judge Bram. Oh, and my it, God. It gets worse when Dredd reports to the med bay to find that Judge Cochran, who was bit by the werewolf, is now turning into a werewolf himself. He's going dog crazy. Yeah. At the same time, Darlino Smith, who's one of the werewolf victims, is now making the change to werewolf herself. And man, I really love this art by Steve Dillon just showing her like transforming into the werewolf and like her strong agree. Her nails turning into claws and stuff. It's real awesome. Oh yeah. man. It's like her uh her well tidied red nails are just like suddenly cracked as claws shoot out of them and she's growing teeth and then bites and that dude. Absolutely. So hold on. So, Judge Cochran's also turning into a werewolf. Only, <laughs> and right. only a quick headbutt by Judge Dredd is able to keep him down long enough to be sedated. But he does bite another judge in the process. Cochran and other victims are locked up, and Dredd remembers Darlene and heads out there, um, to the Buck Chegwin block, mm-hmm. which I think, 
I mean, it might be a reference to TV presenter uh, Keith Chegwin, but I'm not sure here. But anyhow, Darlene's rampaging through the block, biting people and being werewolfy in general. Some judge manages to kill her as Dredd arrives, but he orders all the other victims be locked up under guard as the werewolf infection is spreading fast. Next and in time. One of the best. Hold on. Like, oh, yeah, this go ahead, is possibly please. the coolest side shot of Dredd I've ever seen where they put his chin to the length of his his visor and and where his gums would be is just this giant mound of chin it's like <laughs> it's this I've, I've never seen a profile of him where it's just this massive Steve Dillon's drawn a badass fucking dread in the course of these stories for sure yes but yeah so next time into the nightmare we get more dread action I'm not going to lie to you, Fox, but at the end of the story, Judge Dredd's going to be a fucking werewolf, and it's going to be amazing. Oh, are you fucking Judge Dredd the werewolf? There's a real iconic cover coming up of Judge Dredd saying, I am the law. (laughs) I'm really excited. That's fucking great. Yeah. I love love a werewolf. This story's a great chance of just sort of Dredd. You know, we talked about a little bit of sort of Dread being this kind of melting pot of different, like, sci-fi story options, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Dread's, the Dread world is a world where there can be wizards and psychics and werewolves and witches and shit, as well as, like, cyborgs and time travel and other sort of futuristic things, you Which know? Which I love. I think it's a real strength of Dread, and I think it's something that's going to be really amazing for the rest of the story. This is uh, also kind of, you know, he was there for Trapper Hag, too, but this is really Steve Dillon going real crazy in his day, you know, in like a, a Dread story. And I'm really, I love how he's drawing this art and these werewolves showing up, and the final showdown with the Dread Dread and the werewolves next week is going to be real awesome. Oh, man. I'm super stoked. I like werewolves. Yeah, absolutely, man. Were- werewolves, it's real good. <laughs> <laughs> Werewolves. And speaking of a stereotypical sci-fi shit, it's oh. non-thrills covers nerve-centered pop culture robots. Yeah, yeah. So, Prog three twenty one present bottles. It's nappy <laughs> days for Rogue Trooper as a baby, as uh, sorry, for Rogue, for Robo Hunter as baby Sam Slade breaks formation. In the nerve center, James Stark 007 wants to hear from people re- weird uh, reading 2000 AD from strange locations. There's leathers about fictional prog prices, price increases. There's compliments for the Starborn Thing story. Right. And Roxy from Skiz. And there's complaints about Bert's tr- uh, treatment on progs. And his pinup picture. His, his treatment of progs in his pinup picture. Roxy's Mid- beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Midprog, there's a mighty micro page with some new games, including Galaxians and Muncher and ZX a Thar Possibly the best. Yeah, there's a picture uh, version of, of Tharg. Picture of ZX Tharg and a program that says the 2080 is great. Mm-hmm. In Prog 322, it's Ow! Cry the Werewolf, beginning with a Steve, this Steve Dillon cover. Werewolves in Mega City. Absolutely. It's not the famous Steve Dillon werewolves, uh, cry the werewolf story. That's next episode. In the nerve center, Tharg sits, 
the the Licorice Man, which is a reference to the Bastards Licorice All Sorts commercials, what plugs the, the new Dread Story. Say? Man, Licorice All Sorts are like you know, like here's a bunch of licorice candies in different flavors, and oh, Conrad hates all of them, but they exist, you know. <laughs> all right, Bastards Licorice All Sorts. Man, I whatever. There's a. There's a picture of Ace trucking playing card deck, like complete with Mac cool. Mac, with Aces and Ace of Spades and stuff. There's letters dissing time twisters, complimenting Hoagie, Bro. and making fun of uh, Tharg's haircut, mid-prog. Oh, God, all of those are bad letters. Mm-hmm. Mid-prog, there's Dread of Dread, which is a bunch of reader art of Dread enemies, including a whole bunch of features of Judge Cow, Trapper Hag, Judge Fear and Death, and even fin- Fink Angel. And this prog ends with a pinup of scripture about Alan Moore by Robin Smith. And it's pretty so, cool. Yeah, because yep. Alan Moore is like checking his watch while he's writing Time Twisters. He's got a big old beard and long hair, and it's like he's got a coat with tails and stuff. His his cubicle has the normal like huge pile of oil cans, and then his wall pinups are of skiz. Roxy, and a living room duck from Coronation Street. <laughs> what the fuck? English shit, man. I don't know. <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> I'm all over the place, Fox. You're beautiful. Um, in Prog 323, if his number comes up, they all die. Just a neat little Brett Ewan's Rogue Trooper cover. In the, ne- in the nerve center... Tharg Lynch, which is a reference to Bet Lynch of the show Coronation Street, has apparently run afoul of a meter reader, I guess. Uh, then there's fan art of Judge Jimmy Hill, who is a soccer player. And then an announcer says, like, I am the jaw, because he's got a big jaw in real life. Well, I mean, hey, welcome to the Judge Shred fan club. Absolutely. Yeah, there's letters from a seven-year-old reader asking to join Tharg's club. Several insults about Tharg's appearance and a reader complaining about a girl news agent like count like counter lady who was judging his 2000 purchase. Ooh, wrong choice. Not cool. Mid Prague, uh, sci-fi robot Specs is here to look at some sci-fi book reviews. Dude, never-ending story. Yeah, never-ending story. Well, that's later because this is book stuff. So it's about there's a book by Jerry Pernelli. There's another one oh, by right. Gregory Branford, William uh, Rossler. And the big one, which is the Stainless Steel Rat uh, for President by Harry Harrison, which we'll see the comic book is comic book of comic bookization of in 2000 AD in uh, in uh, late 1984. Have you you've read the Stainless Steel Rats uh, stories yeah. by Harry Harrison. How did you like this book? Man, they're, they were all good. Like, this one's kind of interesting just because it's kind of later in the stainless steel, stainless steel rat's life, so. And we'll see this in the comic too, but like his, his sons have grown up to be like teenagers and stuff, so they're sort of really involved in the story, which is kind of interesting. Hmm, alright. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, D. Mill also shows up with movie news. There we go. Including Star Trek 3. A title change for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It used to be Raiders of the Forbidden City. And then both Supergirl and Superman 3 news. And the never-ending story sort of shows up. real bad. Never watch it. Superman 3 isn't that great either. This 
This project ends with a pinup of Brett Ewins by Rob by, by Robin Smith. Brett's brush complains, "Oh, give me a break, Gov! It's three a.m." And Brett Ewins is super fucking cool with a vest with pins, polka dot necktie, and big socks and fat ass loafers. He's uh, a he's a pretty he's a pretty rad bro. He's super cool, and strangely, there's no pile of oil cans with him, despite the fact that he's working until 3 a.m. Doesn't need it, man. Super fair. Proc 324, dumb place to park a chair, you crazy Hume, as Robo Hunter returns to Britsit. Also, you can want to be a BMX bike this issue. <laughs> In the nerve center, Tharg the biochip announces a new prize structure for letters. I, I like the biochip, Tharg. I think it's cool too, yeah. But so basically, you can win five pounds for a letter, 10 pounds for a picture, and 15 pounds is the high, high prize. Damn. It's a lot of pounds. We get pictures of the Reaper. And then one, uh, another one for Judge Dredd. More updates on pronunciations of things. There's a video game he scores. And then there's a question of when Nemesis and Slain will premiere. And the answer is four episodes for Nemesis and two episodes for Slain, respectively. Oh. Yeah, it's super, super exciting. Mid-prog is an action video. It's action video time with previews of games for the Intellivision. News about, uh, uh, Pac, uh, sorry. News about Miss Pac-Man and Frogger Great coming game. to the Atari. Also amazing game. Absolutely. Frogger was a goddamn game changer. Miss Pac-Man was just a better Pac-Man. Uh, that's super true. Plus, there's high scores for Pitfall, Defender, and Astromash. Um... Oh, sorry. And then there's a commercial that's sort of, you gotta guess how many tubes of Barrett Sherbert there are in a drawing to see, like, in a picture of a BMX bike, and then you can win that bike if you get it right. And they don't really do it all that hard. Barrett Sherbert looked kind of gross, buddy. I'm not gonna lie to you. What uh, is it? I don't know. It's just a fucking tube of toothpaste you just squeeze into your mouth that presumably has some sort of Sherbert in it. Well, so I mean, like, since it was a bike, I assumed it was some kind of bike. Any number of entries, maybe whatever. Simple count. Like, it doesn't actually explain what Sherbert is. No, no, no. You got. They just assume you know. You know, that's how it goes. Wow. Um, Presumptuous. I mean, whatever, man. It's for English kids. There's also an ad for action. There's also an ad for an Action Force mini comic in Eagle Battle and Tiger. And I love Action Force in theory because this is basically just a rebranded GI Joe. Though at this point, there's a lot of differences between them. But like you know, basically, like all the GI Joe guys would be distributed in England as Action Force and stuff. I think that's kind of funny. That's great. I yeah. they have the guy on the skis and the dude who saved those kids from an electrical wire by saying he's Mr. Body Massage. Oh, that's the joke versions, man. But yeah, <laughs> listen. Like, I'm a big fan of Action Force. I want to say also that, like, the scans we have of these comics, like, two-thirds of, or, like, three of them just don't have commercials in them. I don't like that. I want everything to have the commercials in it. I want to see, like, the old school shit because that's fun. <laughs> Fucking correct. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of, you know, commercialism in the West as it goes into the early 80s, it's, uh, Thrill 4 Skiz! As it just gets better and fucking better. Skiz. Yeah, art robot Alan Moore, or sorry, script robot Alan Moore, art robot Jim Bakey, letter robot Tony Jacob. 
So we see Laws um, arriving at a pool hall with Roxy and Cornelius in tow. And, get- and the pool hall guy trying to give us some guff, but it's like, nah, she's with me. <laughs> and Laws? Laws is the man. That's true. We see Laws getting made fun of by locals for, like, alien reasons. And he then explains that he's going to free Skiz, and his buddies at the pool hall are going to help him. I feel like, like, if I had buddies at the pool hall that I went to, like, every day or every week, and I, and, and, like, it was factually accurate for the most part that I got aliened, I don't feel like they'd be like, haha, alien man. They'd be like, oh, fuck. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Meanwhile, Van Owen once again comes to question Skiz about alien technology. I love this part. And it's just. Yeah. Skiz's, Skiz's, um, uh, like, feeling of the situation where it's a game he can neither win nor lose. And it's just questions that don't matter uh, for a guy who's just trying to find fault in what he's doing and how miserable he is. It really sets up kind of this payoff that happens in this same episode. Absolutely, yeah. Forced to play Van Owen's evil game, Skiz has no choice, but he ends up talking about one weapon as people still have. Like, you know, they have a tool. past weapon. It's a tool, yeah, That's a right. Yeah, it's more a tool than weapon, but it's the snuffer, which snuffs out suns. Because if you are a Tier 3 civilization... There are three tiers. We are tier zero, according to these physicists. But mm-hmm. a tier three civilization harnesses the power of entire suns in order to gain energy, right? Like they take yeah. and sap the entire energy of a sun in order to power their civilization. That's fucking amazing. Absolutely. So, Luz, so meanwhile, as Skiz is doing this, Laz starts to lay out his plan to get Skiz out of RAF Stafford, which is an actual place, actually, in, like, northern Birmingham. Um, really? The, yeah. Wait, no, it's a real place? Yeah, you can look that up on Google Maps and stuff. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it's cool. So, one of the guys the pool hall is, who's, like, a wild hair uh, revolutionary, says that he did some work there last summer. And Laws brings him in, and the plan is basically on from there. Like, his knowledge is going to help them, like, infiltrate the base. Meanwhile, Van Owen kind of leaves Skiz's room, all unnerved by talk of this, the, of the snuffer. There's an interesting moment where Skiz is momentarily happy to have, like, messed with Van Owen with this knowledge. But then because he, normally he's a very peaceful alien. Yeah, so he sort of, he chides himself. Because he's lowered himself to Van Owen's levels, like, freak him out by the knowledge of this sci-fi technology. But it also, like, revealed himself to be, like, as violent and, like, over-the-top as Van Owen is, you know? When put in a situation where it's extreme, right? Like, it's these extremes. He's not yeah. giving himself that space to think about it. But he is saying, like, oh, fuck, this could, this is... A part of something that I could feel. Yeah, and it means better. Yeah, by broaching the the subject of like the snuffer, it's also changed the relationship between him and Van Owen. You know, things will be different from them from now on. Mm -hmm. Um, As things go by, like we get to Prague three twenty two, and the story completely changes one hundred percent to a freaking heist story, which is really awesome. Like it's the best heist story I've ever seen. Absolutely, yeah. We just kind of skip past the planning. 
And we just see how things come together, like two giant wallabies have been stolen from a time... I am okay with that. ...from a toy store. And it's kind of funnier, because, like, wallabies is written kind of weird, which suggests it was changed last minute. But also, like, um, a rally is planned at RAF uh, Stafford, and a bunch of rats get stolen from nearby Aston University. And then, like a laundry truck driver drinking, uh, drinking tea at a, di- at a diner finds his tea poisoned. <laughs> and we see, and then he gets locked in the bathroom. We kind of see Laws and Cornelius here, but just kind of their backs, not their faces or anything like that. It's, it's very fun. Like, here's this, um, plot, like, building itself up, basically. It's very Ocean's Eleven startups kind of stuff. Absolutely. Um, we see a protest start outside of RAF Stratford, including some folks handcuffing himself to the outer fence, and then when the guards try to remove the fence, it opens the place up for the protesters to start running around the whole, like, uh, barracks, basically. Meanwhile, a car tries to enter the rear gate, and based on a previous phone warning, it's searched. And when the trunk opens, like, 30 huge rats run out, and the driver implies that they all have, like, the plague. (laughs) And everybody starts freaking out because of that. Um, It's pretty funny because they start talking about the plague, and then, like, the protesters here, and they're like, oh, it's germ warfare, is it? Like, I see what you're doing. Um, And... With all this chaos, the regular laundry truck arrives with some very familiar drivers, a.k.a. Laws and Cornelius. One of them... I, I love how he has him put this, the doctor suit on backwards so he looks like he's ready for surgery. Yeah! So the protest continues and the army guys are killing rats. It's the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, Laws and Cornelius have infiltrated the base and are now um, sort of... Um, they're new hoping around the base, which is <laughs> when you're rescuing someone from a military base while wearing disguises, Fox. <laughs> oh, that's really great. There are new hoping around. And they quickly change from laundry guys to doctors, complete with, as you said, Cornelius, turning his shirt backwards to make it like an operating gown, essentially. They, ar- they quickly arrive at Skiz's room and with a lot of official-sounding blather and some references to the plague, they manage to get into Skiz, to Skiz's room, learn that he can speak English, and head out. Later, a guard checks Skiz's bed and finds a stuffed wallaby there, reference to the earlier parts of the plan. Uh, the alarm goes up as the laundry van drives off, and cops and Van Owen follow a suspicious scooter. They pull the driver over, and it's revealed that... Um, to be the other stuffed wallaby, stuffed wallaby, it and the driver are going to Gretna Green to be married. And Gretna Green Fox is this place in Scotland that's famous for people running away to be married there. Oh, so it's like the Vegas of the island. Exactly. Uh, finally, we see Roxy wandering the streets of late night Birmingham. And it's scary and super alienating, which I think is really cool, honestly. It really sets up uh, kind of how it is for... Like a younger woman to have to walk around alone at night in a very shitty part of a, a city. Absolutely, yeah. The uh, the narration from Alan Moore is going in overdrive here. He sort of describes this part of Birmingham as being a cross between Legoland, Legoland and the Emerald City. But 
Eventually, Laws finds her, and she gets into his van and finds Skiz waiting for her, able to speak English. The two of them have a great... embrace. Yeah, they embrace tearfully. That's real nice, man. It's the sweetest thing. It's like, oh my god, my friend and the person who cared for me. He's finally saved, and we're able to, like, go from here. Meanwhile, Van Owen, we see, is preparing a man... dick. Super dick. He's preparing a manhunt for Skiz over the objections of the more straight-laced Mr. Aubrey. We see German shepherds being loaded into a police car and Van Owen. He's basically implying that he's going to shoot to kill and try to kill Skiz no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's he's got basically a day, so we've now got the ticking yeah. clock. Yeah, Aubrey is going to the PM. Yeah, Aubrey says he's going to go to the to the to to the parliament to talk about this, and, and Van Owen says, minister, man. "Yeah," and and Van Owen says, "By tomorrow, this will all be settled," which clearly means that he's going to kill Skiz, die or be killed himself. Indeed, back in the van, our heroes drive aimlessly, not sure where to go, as we see a man with a with a watchman esque sign reading, "The end is in sight." None shall escape the wrath walks by. Next time on Skiz, parent problems. Oh, this is so good, dude. The free, like the, the, the heist part of them just getting Skiz out and all this chaos and stuff around their base is so amazing. The re, the reunion between Roxy and Skiz is really great. And then it's just like heartfelt. It's totally heartwarming. Yeah. And then all these characters are trying to figure out what they're going to do next is really great too. Like all of it combines well, this great story. You don't know. You don't know what they're going to do next. You don't know what the heist was. Like, what I love about this comic is that mm-hmm. you don't know. And it sets everything up in a way where it's like, it, all of this could have been fucked up, right? Like, at mm-hmm. some point in the plan, something could have fucked up. But it went perfectly. And it's really playing to your emotions in that way, right? Yeah, like, but even give you and- this moment of act two. Yeah, and then even with it working perfectly, it's like, well, what do we do now? Like, we've got this alien, but, like, what's the next step here? And nobody really knows, which I think is pretty amazing also. She asks Laws directly, like, is everything going to be okay? And he's like, you know how this is going to go. It's not going to go well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, I'm super stoked about Skiz. we got, like, two more progs worth of Skiz. And it's Are just- you serious? So we got, like, basically, I'm going to talk about this at the end of the day, but basically we got, like, one big one that's got all of them, and then it's going to wrap up right at the start of the of, our, of the episode after that. Um, and it's just so amazing. I'm so stoked for the end of Skiz. It's, like, super, like, oh, like, we get to the end, and then Conrad cries about it, you know? <laughs> like, I'm really excited This has so it. far been one of my favorite comics inside of here. Like, I, I've always said and will continue to say, like, I prefer something to have a definitive end. Mm-hmm. And Skiz feels like it will. And it's yeah. n- it, like where you can start uh, the Skiz comic and say, oh, it's like E.T. Yeah, sure. An alien comes to Earth and all of this other stuff. Crash lands, mm-hmm. right? Like, E.T. is like, he missed the boat. Right. Um, for all sorts of things. But, like, this is such a different story and hits you in such a different place. And yeah. it's similar. Place, as he I mean, especially now as we start to get into like the heist parts where they like free skiz from the uh, from the military base, 
And then, like, it deals, like, what what we're going to do next and stuff. All that is so different from E.T., right? Well, I like this idea of, of good adults, right? Like, in E.T., the adults don't have the best intentions in mind. It's about children mm-hmm. being pure. Yeah. Right? But Laws is, is, you know, he's he's put out as this guy who clearly is, is kind of a, a rough-and-tumble dude. And mm-hmm. um, why am I forgetting his name? The big guy. Cornelius. Cornelius is clearly like a dullard, but he's got this heart of gold, and he clearly knows right from wrong, and what's being done is wrong. These are adults. These aren't children, right? This yeah. isn't the Goonies trying to figure something out. This is a young <laughs> girl who has to go to these people who her father knows, and now that we know her father, what a great guy he is. And they're the good guys, not her parents. It's yeah, cool. definitely. Well, I'm super excited to see what you're going to see next episode as things sort of come to a head and stuff like that. That's where we're really going to see the huge like changes and shift and stuff like that. It's so good. I love this story so much, Fox. Um, I can tell. Uh, so good. Like, this is... I mean, I've, I've said in a couple places online that, like, from the start of this show, like, Skiz is one of the stories that I've been super excited to get to. And now we're in the midst of it, and I'm just super excited. I love it so much. It's one of my favorite 2000s stories, like, for real. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, no, and, like, when we get to the end, like, maybe, like, no, next week, we'll be at the week after that, like, for real, I've gotten to the end of the... I, like, finished up Skiz and got to the last line and, like, cried. <laughs> Like, it's for real. It's something that's really affecting no. for me. I love it so much, you know? No, I don't want to cry. We'll see, man. But hey, speaking of... Uh, see, ex- man. Yeah, speaking of exciting new stories, it's Thrill 5 Road Trooper. Oh, man, we got some chip strife. Chip strife is always the key. Script robot Jerry Finley Day, art robot Cam Kennedy, and Brett Ewins, letting robot Bill Nuttall. So... Rogue Trooper is still injured and delirious, thinking of his times at Millicom with the chips back when they were all still alive. Uh, apparently, young Bagman was really curious, especially with this one door that was off limits. It was supposed to be an old airlock, but Bagman was skeptical. One night, Rogue sees that Bagman's bunk is empty, and he sneaks out to see Bagman open the airlock. Inside, they find mm-hmm. a bunch of of mutated green dudes, the first That's such GIs. such a bad idea. Totally. The mutants realize that they've been replaced by the newer, bluer dudes and start to freak <laughs> out, which includes knocking out Bagman. Bagman. Rogue carries Bagman to safety, and they get caught by the station guards, and the guards have no choice but to eject the, uh, the state, the, uh, the building with the, with the first GIs on it, and blow up that pod with the green troopers. Rogue is sworn to secrecy about it, and, uh, whatever. So that's like whatever the story with Bagman and So I Rogue. guess Bagman is kind of a jerk. Because he says he doesn't remember, even though all of the things leading up to that point would be something that he could remember. Yeah, he killed the like, first GIs, like, man. Not cool. There wasn't like a weird, well, we only have so much of this serum that's going to make people forget. And and rogues, like, make Bagman forget, I will be sworn to secrecy thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like, nah, he'll just forget because he was clubbed in the brain. Yeah. I do think it's kind of cool that all... We haven't talked about this that much, but all of the, like, GIs had just, like, letters on their age. 
um, mm-hmm. marked into it so they were all like, like so Bagman is like B-13 while Rogue is R-13. That sort of explains a little bit how their naming conventions ended up, although not really, you know. I mean, it says that you can make about 24 before you go through double lettering. I mean, you only need so many freaking GIs, man, whatever. <laughs> All right. At least in the first round, you know. I'm just saying, per year, only 24 for genetic infantry seems very limited. They're, pro- yeah, they're prototypes, man, whatever. <laughs> So, the chips are all freaked out by these various revelations. But what's that? Oh, man. There's a Nord Patrol coming in fast. So, I guess let's wise up and make these chips not think uh, everything I said was fucked up. Well, they'll they'll arrive before Rogue is fully healed and the the chips are feeling super low self-esteem. Luckily, Rogue manages to come to before all this part. He sort of wakes up and finds his buddies all mid-existential crisis about things. So he just starts straight up lying about the situation. and like just takes he was res- shit. Yeah, he just takes responsibility for everything. Like, oh man, it was me that was bad at shooting, or I was just jealous of Venus Blue Jeans, or it was me that killed all the fucking original rogue troopers and stuff. And that's enough to perk up the chips who then which go, really all right guys yeah they go to work killing all the norts with auto fire tossing mini mines slash pogs the at all the enemies dope. and stuff uh helm does nothing other than detect presumably this helmet stuff i don't know you know that's classic helmet maneuver um but three norts survive all of this attacks and things look bad until Rogue pops up with a fucking GI officer pistol and kills them all. Uh, later, he heads back to the Nord command post and kills everybody there, too. And the chips seem to decide to not talk about this with Rogue. Uh, they must never know that his Millicom memories were true. Oh, God, he's got to hide it from them, I guess. Listen, if there's one thing I learned from watching, like, The Flash and Arrow and things like that, that's very important to just hide secrets from your comrades and never actually tell them the truth. Despite the fact that, like, telling them what actually happened and airing things out would actually be way better in the long run and stuff. It always is. But whatever, just bottle up your your secrets, man. Like, that's how you're supposed to do it. (laughs) This won't be a thing that comes back to bite you in the ass for other reason that we continue this comic. Yeah, no, it definitely won't be a problem when Brett Ewins takes over and we got a sexy-ass Venus Blue Jeans that's got to explain all these situations in a couple of Oh, that's great. Oh, that's real great. Fucking sexy ass please blue jeans. Anyhow, for the moment, Brett Ewins takes over on art, and we get a very weird look at civilian life on New Earth. As some uh, post post uh, being in the army. For the yeah, South we Earth. see some some Souther civvies, including an old vet that has got a, a fishbowl coming out of his collar, and they all get the Daily Souther news, which is obvious propaganda. Correct. <laughs> Which shows like North, North uh, Souther victories and fun from the front. Hey, Conrad. Yeah. Would you like to know more? Oh, always. Let me know about the psychics about becoming the fighting the bugs, buddy. I'm ready to go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> all of the uh, all of this stuff is reported by these uh, 
news droids with names like G for George and T for Tommy and stuff. Uh, the, the surviving vet with the fishbowl collar says that these guys were called vid vultures because they were bad luck and they made war look like fun, not like the difficulties it actually was. Yeah, kind of. They're definitely propaganda. Yeah. Meanwhile, rogue troopers on the run from a Nord Hopper when he gets distracted by something in the sky. Luckily, he's able to dodge it and then do his classic sort of burrow underground and land him an ambush trap <laughs> uh, trick. Which, but once he takes out the Nord Hopper, he finds out what that thing is, and it's the Vid Vulture K for Ken, presumably a descendant of a uh, evil robot revolutionary K for uh, Call Me Kenneth. And Just so like, everyone knows, these these robots uh, look like a mix between uh, the weird "I'm gonna stick you with a needle" droids from Star Wars and uh, iBots. Yeah, I'd say Fallout. They're 100% those uh, torture droids from Star Wars. They're just like big <laughs> globes with like shit coming out of them, basically. Um, uh, where are we? Where am I? ITO interrogator okay, right. yeah. droids. But it looks like uh, K for Ken is going to be following Rogue around for the foreseeable future. Um, Yay, we have a new sidekick. Yeah, in the final prog, we see Rogue Trooper with a mini splash in front of the South of Flag, and that's super dope. Good Brett Ewan's already here. Mm. We see Rogue wake up with the vid vulture still following him, even as he like like eats breakfasts and so on. Rogue heads out as K for, Kenneth, K for Ken narrates his actions. <laughs> Rogue is headed to the Rockies 2, which is a narrow maze of ca- canyons where he manages to lose the journalist. Through the, through the various, like, passageways and stuff. But, hey, you know, we can't have this new character begun for long, so here's plot reason for several different Norts to be in front of you. Yeah, I mean, Rogue falls upon this Nort patrol and starts killing them. The noise of the battle calls K for Ken over. Um, eventually, like, uh, K for Ken is sure that his coverage of Rogue killing all these Norts Winning the Warker correspondent of the Year Award, and Rogue says that he doesn't have time for interviews. And that's borne out by the fact that a bunch of Norts have found Rogue's position based on K for Ken being there and their plan and their attack, and that's sort of the cliffhanger that we end Rogue Trooper on this month. It's kind of like if a news correspondent could fly over a battle and definitely alert enemies to your position. Yeah, it's bad that's times, buddy. Absolutely. And man, that's it for stories this month. That's it for progs. Jesus Christ. Yeah, we got through it, bud. I'm drunk. I'm barely surviving. Um, (laughs) But before we ask for, for, before we get to best and worst, I ask folks sending well wishes for this milestone, our 100th goddamn episode, Fox. Oh, really? Yeah, I just went on Twitter and Facebook and said, like, hey, like, if you got something nice to say, let me know. Um,. And we got some great responses, actually. Um, oh, on man, Twitter, yeah, on Twitter, Judge Judge Powell said, uh, uh, "Judge Powell." Yeah, we'll get to oh, Judge Powell great. in the actual 2008s if we go through. But he says, uh, "Citizens, the perps behind Space Spinner 2K remain at large even after a thou- even after a hundred broadcasts. Justice Department reminds you to." 
remind you, listening to their subversive media is a crime. Report them to win great JDA prizes such as Otto Sump's Mayor Grub Mushroom Tongue Applicator, which is pretty funny. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Yeah. Neil McGonagall says, looking forward to the 100th episode, guys. Really enjoying the podcast. You have just started on my error of 2000 AD circa 300. Keep keeping on, which is real good. Uh, Steve Green says, have a terrific 100th broadcast. Oh, and then he drew a picture of Walter as a Green Cross Code robot, wow. which is... No, so the, you just hate me. <laughs> yeah, you it's the don't most, like me. Uh, it's the most <laughs> horrifying thing of all times, and it's super fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much to draw my nightmare. Ebo's nightmare of all things. Totally. Ebo says, hey guys, congrats on your 100th episode. It's been great listening to you uh, dissect the galaxy's greatest comic and get so confused by 70s and 80s British culture <laughs> references. Anyway, I'm off for a game of hazelnuts, which is an insult to me for mistaking hazelnuts and horse chestnuts in a previous episode. I, I still don't understand the difference. <laughs> Keep up the Zar Jazz work. Uh, Dread Universe says, congrats Aww. on getting so far. It's been fun reliving the old, the older days. Keep up the great work. And Bob Thompson, I mean, I 70, who's been a space spinner Twitter follower for God knows how long. One of our oldest ones says, congrats on your yeah, thousandth. Yeah. From the homeland of Mid and Face Magnolia, which is Scotland. Uh, yes, yeah, long may your turn or your breaks wreak. I'm away. <laughs> and then wow. he like he like li he like li listed a uh, a YouTube video for us to watch and and uh, signaled the time twister sound effect, which is the TARDIS. So I super appreciate that as well. Oh, Thank you so God. much, Bob Thompson. You're one of those guys that's been with us since the since the start and i super appreciate all your comments good man yeah on facebook we got a bunch of stuff uh dave healy said congrats for making it to 100 here's the next 100 from the 1977 to 2080 facebook group which is awesome good um, on you yeah ian anorak hollinsworth said it seems mere space seconds ago you were first over you first overloaded our feel thrill circuits with episode 1 a space spinner oh. 2000, bring on the next 100, 100 orbits. That was it, a good episode and definitely not poorly recorded. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, it has moments, man. Whatever. <laughs> um, Alan Rose Knowles says, well done making it to 100 Conrad and Fox. Best podcast going. Crack out the air horns and the Mac Mac long may you confuse. They're in there for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, Gareth Edwards Lord, uh, Lloyd Tolman says congratulations Space Panther 2000 quite possibly the most entertaining podcast out there Mac Mac hangovers all around I'm the real terrible on Monday so I super appreciate Me that <laughs> it's, it's going to be pretty horrible too. yeah Scowlin Monkey says thank you for your de for your dedication and and, per and perseverance to the last hundred episodes, though the, the though the Zar Jazz and not so Zar Jazz of everything 2080 related, I very much look forward to the next hundred episodes and oh. maybe also the second coming of Jesus. Oh no! Oh. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it's tough because this episode came because we're recording this right after the Jesus episode came out. So there's a couple oh. of Jesus reference references. It 
That was possibly the funniest. <laughs> Super funny, man. Uh, David oh, Royani says, happy 100 episode, or he gives a poem that says, dread is the law, rogue trooper is blue, happy 100 episodes, quack quack vogs to you. From <laughs> Peta and Dave from Where Eagles Dare, which is the podcast inspired by us covering the, two, the Eagle comic book. Super shout out to those guys. They'll be no, hosting. Where where Eagles Dare. Yeah. And I'm going to say this right now because I've, I've listened to quite a few. Those boys mm-hmm. are great to listen to. Gentle, gentlest of gentlemen, truly. If Absol- you like yourself some Dan Dare. Yeah. No, for sure. Look forward to them in some of our 1984 um, annuals for sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's really good. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Greg Cook from the Strong Team Dog fan, fan film page says, uh, Congratulations. Thank you for all the hard work you do in the podcast every week. Congratulations on reaching the milestone of 100 drocking episodes. As a lifelong reader of the Galaxy's Greatest Comic, your podcast hasn't just fed my nostalgia, but it's refreshing to hear two Yanks and their views on the progs. I see how it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, as you're both loving 2080, please try to explain why it's never taken off in the States. I've never understood that anyway. Keep yeah. the good work, and hopefully we can all all continue this journey for I, years to come. I can answer that in a sentence. It's because everyone in the comic book who comes from America doesn't speak like an American. They talk like a British person in America. I think it's just that, like, you know, it's hard to break in here. There's so many comic books here in America. Well, so, that's that, like, well, so, so I will say this I, uh, as a side before we go to the next person, like... <laughs> I, I used to read comics as a kid, Conrad. Yeah. And when you met me, did I read comic books? No. Do you want to know why? Why? Because the comic books were not so good. I super agree. But I think also, like, even in those old days, like, I remember buying comics and there was never 2000 AD there. It just wasn't, mm. it, didn't, it didn't exist. I think on, it was like, just too expensive and it's the same, like, with, with sending things over there, right? Like, even in this last four issues, um, Tharg was talking in one of the video game panels about a, a, no, no, whatever. It's a book that you can buy that's about, like, published from Atari about, like, making games on their system and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Right? Like, yeah. it's more expensive there because you got to send it out there. And books yeah, that makes sense. Medium, right? Like, so comic books being sent from, say, uh, England to China, like, that would be fucking near impossible. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that America, like, while not as impossible as other things, still damn expensive, and it's whether or not it pays off for a company. Yeah, it's a challenge, man. Um, so, anyhow, from email, we're finally at email, so... Oh, my uh, God. Andrew Judge says, congratulations for reaching 100 episodes, lads. I've Thank been you. through some good times to... Sorry, we, we, we've been through some good times together, like Portrait of Mutant. We've been through some bad times, like Death Planet. And Fucking the, strong agree. <laughs> but, the best time, but the best times are yet to come, which is Halo Jones Book 3. Roll oh. on the next 420 episodes. It's going to be more than that. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and then That's finally, true. we got a big-ass email from my buddy Colin. Um, you, you'll never walk alone. He says, Conrad and Fox, well, I'd like to congratulate you on... Re- on Reaching a, um, the landmark of 150 episodes, we damn well better not get carried away. Uh, 
Sure. Oh yeah. It'd be easy don't to roll out the. Me. Why don't say that shit? <laughs> It'd be easy to roll out the reflections of well done. The fact that you um, have the same passion, enthusiasm, and commitment to the podcast. Now, you're in episode one is an absolute um, is an absolute testament to you. Like, okay, that's fine. Uh, we sh- we could salute the beginning of another glory of the uh, the fact that behind the glorious humor, wit, and hilarity. You seem to effortlessly create um, and, re- and restrain a strong, smart analysis of Thar's mighty organ. Wow. We could also just celebrate the wonderful, fresh insight and perspective of readers, not entirely into 2080 fandom. You know, we we jaded keyboard communicators need to reinvigorate our love of 2080's greatest. We could say all that, but we shouldn't be slapping backs just yet. By my calculations, on episode 100, you'll have covered approximately 16% of the prod to date. No! (laughs) So while we could all cheer your magnificence, and while I'll enjoy the free packet of... packet of chewits or whatever, you'll be really getting your galaxy with uh, lapped up at the cover episodes, you should stop all merrymaking and roll up your sleeves and crack on. Here's to the remaining 84% love and hugs, Colin. <laughs> Which, so in other words, Colin is the devil. I mean, I kind of agree. Like, 100 episodes is great, but it's also a fucking call to action for the next 100... <laughs> the next so many episodes we've got to do to get to no, get current. It, I, Colin, thank you so much for your almost kind words. Uh, I want to say that I've drunk, I've drunkenly um, um, murdered his prose, and he actually did later email back to apologize for being a jerk about this stuff. Oh, and just... no, no, no. Okay, so real, real talk. That wasn't a jerk. I actually appreciate. It was funny. Super agree. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, listen, we've done this first hundred episodes. I'm incredibly stoked to do the next. Oh my god, so many episodes. <laughs> I want to think about it. Like, comment, and, and, and subscribe if you like my agony. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is going pretty well. And keep an eye out for future comment requests. This went pretty good, so I think we might try to do this for like the 83 spinnies and stuff like that, too. So just keep an oh, eye man. out for that, for that, I, and for I'd like... For- love a, I'd love a poll of what people thought uh, was the best of 83 in compare notes. I super agree. Yeah, man. And to that end, um, Fox, what is your top, oh, God. top and bottom thrill for this Prague three, Prague's 321 to 324, uh, July or June and July 1983? What's your top and bottom? Let me know. I completely forgot. Oh, no. The show. Ah. Uh, so. <laughs> So here's here's what I'll say, if if I could, because again it's thrills, it's not people. That's what mm-hmm. we have the spinnies for. If this were people, Alan Grant, uh, sorry, Alan Grant, Jesus, Alan Moore would win, uh, one hundred percent, hands down, like credited or uncredited for his work, which clearly he was uncredited for at least one of these. I mean, yeah, for the uh, Tharg story for sure. But just a really great showing by him. Now, now here's what I'll say. I'd rather start on bottom, which I will firmly give to uh, Robo Hunter mm. uh, for having for having three out of four of, of just like setup, but no funny, right? Like there's no what I what I love the most about 
um, Robo Hunter when I read it mm-hmm. is is the uh, cartoonesque stupidity humor that I've come to love of the one fourth of the comics that we read today, right? Like mm-hmm. laying in a chair and a bunch of dumb shit happening. Like nothing has to progress in the story. Like I literally give two shits about whether or not he gets into heaven or hell. <laughs> Because something's gonna happen. Yeah, but like like make them laugh, make them smile. Like that's that's uh, the Robo Hunter kind of thing. Um, and and one of those did that for me this month. And not mm-hmm. to say that Robo Hunter's bad, but like it definitely hasn't been a like a an amazing thing. Yeah, for a while. No, I agree with that for sure. So where I'm coming from, but is that like I had to choose between Time Twisters, Dread. And, uh, fucking skiz. And, bro, I'm sorry, and this feels like, uh, like I'm just saying the same thing all the time. Uh-huh. Bro, it's skiz. Yeah. There's no way you can beat, and, like, this is skiz beating werewolves. Uh-huh. I like werewolves. I like werewolves a lot. I like yeah. big, big dog people biting on dudes, unstoppable monster machines, but instead it's like a heartfelt story about how some people who don't necessarily have like the most connected reason to save somebody it's just like a they're good people reason mm-hmm. to save somebody yeah. going out of their way to do it and it's uh it's heartwarming because i think like most of the stuff we read from alan moore and like say time twisters is very dark or very sad or very mm. fucked up yeah and here you're seeing like no they're characters they're people they're real mm-hmm. people uh, who who go out of their way to do something uh, great. Isn't yeah, that wonderful? that makes perfect sense to me, for sure. Mm. So, Conrad, mm. uh, now that I've drank the last of my rum, <laughs> or I'm ready for nappy times. Conrad, what was your top and bottom thrills for this last four uh, issues? Oh, man, this is a great month. Honestly, there's a lot of really great stuff. I'm going to agree with you about Robo Hunter being in the bottom. Um, I feel like we, I feel like at least like Grant and Wagner feel like they've run out of Robo Hunter stories to tell, you know? There's Stronger. A, yeah, there's a lot of just Robo Hunter stories in here that just like they spend a prog telling parts of the story that I feel like they could have sort of speeded up. And I just feel like they're just trying to stretch things out, you know? They're not even making up lyrics to a song that you don't know. Yeah, but it's of the same piece of like, yes, like trying to make an exp, you know, agonizing over whether Sam Slade's going to merge with Sam Scum or, you know, I mean, even even the being stuck in the chair thing, which is really funny, is also kind of fillery. You know, it's also kind of got a filler sense of like, all right, we're just gonna keep this guy in the chair and whatever for the whole time, you know? Um, All I'm saying is that the heaven thing has been, you're dead, but now you're alive. Mm-hmm. Like, literally nothing has progressed. Yeah. For top, um, I'm gonna say, I agree with you too, like, Skiz and Dread are really the tops for me. I love this werewolf story, it's real good, but I'm gonna hold that back for next week when we get into the real meat of this Cry of the Werewolf story. And things get crazy, and Dread becomes a fucking werewolf, buddy. It's gonna happen. Oh. 
<laughs> Instead, I'm going to say Skiz because I really love a heist movie just kind of in general. We've talked about that before. Mm. How much I love like heists and these things going. This is a super heist of them like getting the wallaby costumes and all these different parts and then sort of, you know, escaping with Skiz scot-free. It's really amazing. Um, and I just really love that part. And then just like the... That reunion, both the reunion with Roxy and Skiz was really amazing. And, like, Skiz, like, telling about alien technology to fuck with Van Owen was really amazing also. And then, like, the after effects of Skiz feeling really bad about having, like, one-upped Van Owen that way. That was a really cool character moment, I thought. And, you know... And, and how he reflects on it. Yeah. Right? Like... Yeah, I mean, exactly. so much of Skiz is that it's not, like, just the story. It's that it's these, it's the little character moments between these different, like, mismatched stories and stuff. Um, it's almost as though it's a fucking story, kind of. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, fuck you. But, like, yeah, that's... That, no, that no, just, no, 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 I don't yeah. mean that. I don't mean that sarcastically towards your uh, assessment. I mean that sarcastically towards like ninety percent of like what I read. Yeah, that they're, they're just sort of right? that they're telling this story that it's not about the action, that it's about the characters going on in the story and stuff that makes Skiz so fucking strong about that thing. It's so amazing, and this is just another example of that of Skiz like talking about. Like, oh yeah, we've got this high-tech technology, that'll shut you the fuck up. And then feeling bad about having said that. It's a really interesting, like, way of telling the story of these characters and stuff. I really love it. I re I'm really loving Skids. It's one of my favorite stories of all time. I'm so glad that it's it's hitting you on the right notes, too, actually, Fox. Like, that it's was something got, I was worried it's about. It's got great writing. It gives its way uh, when you need some art showing up. It gives its way to it. Like, the letterer clearly knows, move out of the way. Like, Absolutely. this isn't the time for it, like, kind of thing. It's just a very obvious, cohesive storyline. And um, when people are working together, it doesn't matter the medium. Mm -hmm. When they're given their space, they can really make something shine. And I feel that way about Skiz. Absolutely. I super-duper agree. Um, so anyhow, <laughs> I hope everybody en enjoyed our show. As always, you can find Space Spin in 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at spacebinner2000.com. Oh, Feel snap. Damn, buddy. Feel free to contact us at in 2000 at gmail.com. On the 2084s or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter at spacebinner2k. For everything else, just look up Space Spinner. 2000 we should be there i'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, 1983 as eventually you know as this as this episode comes out we'll be moving towards the spinning so i'm super stoked just to hear what people thought about like this year and the comics that came out where we haven't even gotten to the meat of what's coming out this year as uh God. we get ever closer to rogue and nemesis and stuff coming back or to strontium dog and nemesis i should say i'm so excited <laughs> absolutely Come back next time as Dread fights the werewolves. Both Robo Hunter and Skiz reach their climaxes. And after Rogue Trooper deals with the Vid Vultures, he faces Old Nemesis, the Rogue, the, uh, the Traitor General who also returns. So many amazing things are about to happen in 2000 AD, man. So keep your thrill circuits ready. I'm fucking prepared. 
Yeah, buddy. Like, come and subscribe if you've got thrill circuits. Please. That's what I'm saying. Until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. This is our thousand. This is our hundredth episode, buddy. We're getting real. We're doing so much. Oh my god. A hundred episodes, dude. It's- Jesus. I'm so fucking excited. Super excited. I'm drunk, buddy. And until then, until next time, Splundig Verthrig, I made it from the bottom of my heart.